Good morning. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Menachem Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Abel's and Hyman. We taste better. This is the network's first recording from, or broadcast actually, from Sydney, Australia in the Southern Hemisphere. But we'll talk more about that in a little bit. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Naomi Nachman. I'm about all the food all the time. I love food. I love to shop for it, cook it, eat it, eat at restaurants. Anytime you don't feel like cooking, I'm your gal. But I also like to hear from you as well. So uh, you can email me at uh, Naomi at NahumSiegel.com. You can join my Facebook page, my fan page. Uh, follow me on Twitter or Pinterest. Um, and, you know, i just like to hear about your food adventures. Uh, I'm a kosher personal chef, and I love, love, love to cook. So you tell me what you're cooking. I'll tell you what I'm cooking. We'll keep it as a two-way conversation. So as many of you uh, have either heard on my uh, uh, Facebook page or my fan page, The Aussie Gourmet, I'm actually sitting here in Sydney, Australia. Um, I've had uh, an opportunity to come out, uh, not the best reason. Uh, My dad wasn't well, so I came. So I thought while I'm here, I'm going to make it the, uh, you know, because I'm about all the food all the time, I'm going to make it a little bit of a uh, experience being here sharing all the uh, Sydney, Australia food uh, information that's out there. So um, I decided to... uh, uh, book in a time with uh, ZK. Hi, ZK. Uh, can hey, you hear hey. me? Yep, I hear you loud and clear. There you go. <laughs> ZK is in Brooklyn, New York, and I am in Bondi Beach, Australia. So this is where I grew up. I just want to describe where we're broadcasting from. Uh, Sydney, Australia, Bondi Beach, Clyde Street. That's where I am at my parents' house. This is the area I grew up in. It's the eastern suburbs of Sydney. It is the heart of the Sydney Jewish community. There are some other communities around Sydney on the North Shore, and some are also scattered in the western suburbs. So I grew up literally five-minute drive from the iconic Bondi Beach. Uh, you can go on to uh, the Internet and have a look how gorgeous Bondi Beach is. I think Modern Family, the TV show on ABC, just even shot a whole episode uh, from Australia, and Bondi Beach was one of the uh, shots that they showed. They did a few scenes there. Um, so Bondi Beach is like with the heart of the community, um, and it's about a 10-minute drive uh, from the 15-minute drive from the central business district. Uh, there are, you know, shuls nearby, schools, restaurants, bakeries. So it's really beautiful. And you're right. Remember, as I keep saying, you're right near the beach, and all this business district is very close by. Like in, in New York, you have to drive quite a distance to Manhattan to go to work. So, you know, this is so close by and it's such a beautiful place to live. And the weather is gorgeous all year round. Last night or two nights ago um, was uh, Yom Ha'atzma'ut and and um, we, there was an outdoor celebration and my friends were complaining it was like six, you know, they were freezing and it was like 60 or 65 degrees for us uh, temperature-wise. I did with all the conversions uh, from the metric to the Fahrenheit system. And it was it was beautiful, but they weren't, they weren't used to, I'm going to say air quotes, quote-unquote, cold weather. And I thought it was absolutely beautiful. So they really have a wonderful, beautiful life right here in Sydney, Australia. I want to give a three shout-outs to my three favorite Sydney restaurants, Glick's, Glick's Bakery. I've been to the one on Hall Street many times for lunch and coffee. We'll talk more about my coffee during the uh, um, interview with the Kashrut Authority. Um, and then um, 
I, I ate a lot at Pitamix, which is an Israeli restaurant. And then, of course, Katzi's Restaurant, uh, which uh, is sells the iconic meat pies. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Many of you who heard my interview with Matis Weingast this past Sunday heard about me talking about the meat pies. So uh, it's really a fabulous place to live and to grow up. And I'm very lucky. Might not have as many restaurants as New York or where I live in the five towns, but it's really very laid back. They're really so laid back here. The whole lifestyle is much more laid back than than uh, America. But uh, everything has its uh, milers, as we say. So I'd like to uh, talk about my three guests that I interviewed. I, I uh, had this amazing app that you've you know you've heard me interview people from when I was in California or the Kosher Food and Wine Show or Kosher Fest. I can take my traveling phone app with me to record some interviews. So. When I was here, while I'm here, I decided to uh, pick three of people that I felt that really needed to have their voices heard. So I and to share with to share with my New York uh, American listeners, I should say American listeners, because I know we have listeners all over the country. Um, so I had Rabbi or Dr. Rabbi, I'm not sure what the order is, probably Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. David Slavin, who originally is from Crown Heights in Brooklyn, New York. He runs the uh, uh, it's called The Big Kitchen, or otherwise known as OBK. Uh, we'll, we spoke with him and his wife, Leah, who I actually went to school with. I spoke with Tommy Rev, who runs the amazing butcher shop uh, in uh, Sydney, and also Rabbi Aaron Groner, who's the rabbinic, assistant rabbinic administrator for the Kashrut Authority of Australia and New Zealand. We actually spoke with him, remember, back in, um, I think it was January for Australia Day. So um, we had a great a great interview with him, and it was just so informative. Each one of my guests was really informative. I learned so much about Kashrut as well. So uh, we're going to share that with all our listeners today. So uh, this is uh, Naomi Nachman reporting from Sydney, Australia, uh, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and the sponsor of our show is Abels and Hyman. Uh, so I'm going to uh, ask EK. Hi, EK. How are you doing? We're doing great. Well, okay, how's everything in New York? How's the weather there? Weather is pretty nice. There was a beautiful day here, and okay, uh, you know we're enjoying ourselves. We okay. have uh, Penina Copal here is our uh, in our studio joining us here today. Hi, Penina. Okay, so so it's uh, I'm, I'm missing New York and I miss my family. I can't wait to come back in a couple of days. Um, all right, so ZK and I, uh, right, we, we, we set up all our interviews, and I'm going to give a little introduction to each one. But um, ZK, let's roll that one um, from um, OBK, and uh, you'll hear my little introductions to each one at the beginning of each interview. Okay, are we ready? Hi, this is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am actually in Sydney, Australia. I've had this... Amazing experience. Unfortunately, I had to come not for a great reason. Um, my dad's had some surgery, so I uh, decided with my brother, who also lives in Borough Park, that we should come and see our dad. So husband and or his and his wife, my brother's wife, my sister-in-law, they uh, stay behind with all our wonderful children, and hopefully they're being really well-behaved. And we hopped on a plane for, felt like, one billion hours on the amazing Qantas Airlines. If you are looking to fly to Australia, Qantas Airlines is the way. No, they do not pay me to say that, but they were really an amazing airline. Thank you, Qantas, for taking good care of us. Um, so we hopped on a plane, and we saw my dad through the surgery, and he's doing an amazing, um, and a Baruch Hashem, a great recovery. So keep it up, Dad, and thank you, everyone, for your uh, tefillot. Um, so I said, while I'm here, 
and I knew I was coming to Australia later on in the year. My cousin is getting married, my cousin Cassie Atlas, who I've given her lots of shout-outs over the years, or, um, is uh, getting married in July. So I knew I was going to come for her wedding. And I said, while I'm here, I'm going to visit my good friend, Leia Slavin. We went to school together at Mariah College. She was Leia Barber back then, school captain uh, of Mariah College way back then. Um, and she married uh, Rabbi David, Dr. Rabbi uh, David Slavin, and they have started an amazing and I think unique, right? I think you must be the only ones in the world who have started this unique kitchen in um, Sydney, Australia, and we're going to talk a little bit about what this kitchen is. It's called Our Big Kitchen, or nicknamed OBK, and I'm, I don't want to do an injustice to it, but I would like David to explain directly what is so amazing and about this kitchen, but just touch on it lightly because we're going to go back and talk about the history. What is OBK? Well, thanks for those kind words. Very, very special to be with listeners from my hometown, New York. So, yeshukoyach for the opportunity. Our big kitchen is Kishmoikin, who, as it sounds like it is, a big industrial kitchen that brings people together, that allows people to help one another very much in the spirit that Avramovino did long before he had a yeshiva. He had a tent where he fed people and made them feel welcome, and he used food as a way to teach what the Abish is all about. Okay, so that was a very little bit of a touch, because we're going to keep going back and forth. I'm going to pass it off at the uh, microphone, um, and we're going to have, I'm sitting here with uh, his wife, Leia, of course, my classmate and friend for, I don't, know, I don't want to say how old we are, but a long time. And of course, my cousin, Cassie Alice, is joining us here as well. Um, I'd like to talk about the history. What, when did you get this genius idea? So it started, in fact, when um, Leia was doing a shaitles here in Sydney. And after many of the women were, came out looking uh, very, very natural with their hair word spread, and very soon the local hospital started sending her some clients who were being treated and had lost their hair. And... Um, in order to make them feel a bit better and to cope with their load, Leia started sending them food. And then that continued, and um, volunteers started to come to help cook those meals. Eventually, we borrowed a big kitchen, and we had a big cooking. And it was really during that cooking where we were preparing meals for somebody who wasn't well, that uh, we decided that this is what we're going to do. We're going to build a kitchen so we can have it and use it on a regular basis and give other people the opportunity to do chesed in this big commercial way. I just want to try to describe what, what it looks like. It looks like a typical commercial kitchen. I, I'm, we're actually recording this in the office of, the OB, of OBK. I'm looking through the window, and I'm seeing literally a giant commercial kitchen. And in the front foyer, which is enclosed, is a challah baking class going on. So all kinds of different programs are going on here um, simultaneously almost. You've got a group of guys, which you're going to explain it in a minute. You've got a group of guys cooking uh, in the commercial kitchen and a challah class going out the front, an interview going on in your office. And it's, it's unbelievable. Number one, the smell here. It's like late on a Thursday night and it's, the smell is unbelievable. 
So, so talk to me about the guys in the kitchen. So what we have here is really um, lots of different people come from different backgrounds. Um, and I'll just touch upon them quickly and give a bit of background as to how the place works. We, we want to see to it that people feel empowered and people, people feel connected and people feel helped. And um, food has this incredible ability to bring people together. Now, being in Sydney, we have a, quite a few people who are not Jewish, in fact, to come and to use the kitchen. So that's something which is, as, as Toyota tells us, that we should be examples of doing chesed. And we do it not just within the Jewish community, but also outside, which is a huge Kiddush Hashem. And, um, and that's something which is special. Also, I mean, for people in New York, as I know myself coming to Sydney, uh, you can't just walk into a supermarket and find, you know, dozens and dozens of products with an OU, with an OK, with a Heksha of some sort. Kashos here is a real challenge. And having the kitchen available so many other people can use it, in fact, has made Kashos more accessible for many people. So just running through the people who come here. Number one, we have people who are starting their own businesses, and we give them space in the kitchen to be able to do that. Now, like a per- like a personal chef, someone who wants to be under a hersha, because this kitchen is under a hersha. Absolutely. So we have people coming in here who can have the place, and it gives them all the hersha it gives them the licensing for the health department, it gives them uh, a, a place they can bring clients to. Many of these people are, you know, could be struggling otherwise, and this gives them a real opportunity for a pranosa, and it gives the community, the ability to have all these meals, which is fantastic. That's one group. We have about 15 such small cottage industries who are doing different types of foods. We try to make sure they shouldn't compete with each other. Some doing drinks, some doing chocolate, some doing all sorts of boutique little little um, cottage industries, which is very, very nice. That's one group. Another group is of what we have in here, our volunteers who come in all the time. And what we try to do very, very much also is to open the kitchen to different companies who come in to do their volunteering. So they have uh, wanting to do work for social causes, and they'll come in here, and they will pick the sort of charity that they want to support, and we become, in fact, the vehicle that allows them to help their favorite charity. Uh, again, B'Kiddush Hashem, when these sort of meals go out, being kosher and being prepared in a kitchen run by we also have a lot of schools and government organizations who all come in and to use the kitchen. There, there are some other parts that we do. We work very close with the government on things like counter-disaster, if there's a flood or if there's an earthquake or fire. We are part of the state's plan to be able to respond to those. Whenever our state, New South Wales, responds to an emergency, we are part of it, whether it's in, this, in the state or or interstate. That's amazing. What an unbelievable Kiddush Hashem that is. That is amazing because of what, and what normally happens is, at times like that, people's hearts and minds are open. Many of the politicians, the political leaders are in here, very often from all sides of politics. You know, we'll have the Premier who's on one side of politics. Tell them, tell them what a Premier is. Well, the, like premier, the, the Premier is the Governor, the Governor of the State. Uh, the governor of the state. They won't know. <laughs> Americans, most of you, most of so, our listeners. So this is this is this is the governor of the state can come down, and be here at the same time that the mayor, and they happen to be from opposite sides of, of, of the party divide, 
will stand here shoulder to shoulder, cook, bake, and it's really incredible. And what they're doing is kosher food. And this is what's going out. And this is what, what's, being, what's being promoted. And it's really, it's, it's, so that's a big thing. With, with the, and to become part of the state obviously isn't easy. It's a, there's a lot of paperwork to be able to go through. Whole business with that. That's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Then we, have, then we have here a lot of schools. A lot of the local schools come through here. Um, many of the Jewish schools here also don't necessarily have a parent body that keeps kosher or all of them. You know, this, this is, and for them, it's an incredible opportunity to come in here and see how kosher is done. So they come in for kosher classes, they come in for kosher workshops, they come in here for understanding how how kosher is prepared and what it's done. That whole business. Um, so that's that's another big aspect. Now, among us, among among this, there's a lot of different things that we do over here. We we are also quite focused on the water community, so we'll help homeless shelters, very, very important. Again, a big kiddush Hashem to show that this is, this is what we're doing. One of the things which are really, really unique is that we work closely with the state, and the state really support what we do. So, people who have parking fines who can't afford to pay them, the state says, you come work in our big kitchen, and you can work off the parking fines. No way! That would be amazing in New York. Can I just tell you, like the Borough Park people, they could like... <laughs> Parking there is like crazy. Everyone double parks. Lots of tickets instead of paying it. You can work for a tzedakah organization. Okay, New York, let's put that one together. Well, yeah, this, <laughs> this is what we do here. And, and you have, so people can come in here and do their, do their, pay off their offices, the, the debts that they have to the state. Can I pay off my mortgage by working for you? That would be cool. Well, we're working on that now. That's, that's next on the line. In the meantime, this, this is what we're up to. And then beyond that, beyond that, we have also, um, People who have done have done particular crimes. Let's pause it. It's okay. Okay, we have we have their little baby in here with us. Rabbi David Slavin and Leia Slavin's baby is here with us. Um, so you hear a little bit of hello from the baby. So uh, you can say hello to your grandparents in Crown Heights who are hopefully listening to our show. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's continue. So yeah, so we have um, also juvenile justice kids who are who have committed some crimes, who need to be put back onto the straight and narrow, will come into us. We'll have, um, uh, we'll have here, in fact, people who have community service orders. We have here, then what's really interesting is we have full-on inmates, people who are in jail. In order to get them ready to reintegrate into society, we give them an opportunity to be here. Now, we particularly, take a, we particularly took a, a, the part of the jail where, unfortunately, you've had several Jewish people incarcerated, and um, so in that part of the jail, but we obviously need to take Jews and non-Jews into this program, and that's a, it's a really, it's a very special thing to give an inmate an opportunity, a second chance to be reintegrated into society. And we have to be very careful. They get they get you know they get checked and tested and monitored and ankle bracelets. It's a little bit complicated, but it's great. And we've had some incredible stories. Now, I want to share with you one, one story that really encapsulates what we're doing. Yeah, please share with us. I, I, I find this absolutely captivating. So one of our one of our inmates. Who's uh, who's actually Australian Greek? He's a Greek fellow, lovely, lovely guy. He joined us a couple of years ago, just before Purim. And Purim is a time that we bake hamantashen in the thousands and thousands and thousands, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand hamantashen. And and George is is doing these hamantashen time and time again. And we became quite friendly. He says, Rabbi, these hamantashen, it's killing me. You know, it's just so many, so many. You're sure? Is, isn't there some other way we could celebrate Purim instead of making so many hamantashen? Anyway, this goes on all of the whole time we're doing Purim. 
Well, Purim finishes and then comes Pesach. So, after a couple of days of Pesach cleaning, George comes to me, puts his arm around my shoulder, says, Rabbi, you know all those things I complain about Purim? I take it back. Bring back Purim anytime. It's much better than Pesach. (laughs) (laughs) That is hilarious. Everybody appreciates how hard we work. Oh, hello. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's really, um, I can appreciate what he's thinking over there. (laughs) That's a very cute story. So that's a big part. A big part is, is having the inmates here. And this, is, this, this, this happens here all day, every day. Baruch Hashem, tens of people coming through here, cooking, sharing, packing, sending. And the, 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 the stories that happen here, as we often say here, we don't make food, we make stories. And there are lots of incredible stories that happen here. We are extremely, extremely proud to see Jewish kids understanding what chesed really means in a tangible way. One of the things we do, is, which is really interesting, is birthday parties for children. That's, oh, that's, one, an, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> say, say that again, Leah. I'd say that's one of my favorites, my chance to get dressed up as a clown. I often come as the clown to these parties. And the parties are really not about the child. It isn't about what gifts they're getting and what, you know, who the entertainer is, but it's about who they can make happy. And from the moment that the child walks in, you know, birthday parties from as young as four-year-olds to as young as 80-year-olds are having their birthdays here, and they're simply looking to make other people happy. So the children come in, they design cards, who they're going to make happy, write nice thoughts on it, and then they come in and bake. Sleeves are up, they've given tzedakah, and they start baking biscuits, cupcakes. They've got, their, they've got their hairnets on. They've learned about healthy eating. They've got armed with aprons and hairnets. And they come in and bake for about an hour or so. And the, f- the food gets distributed out. So each child walks home with two packages, one for themselves to enjoy, to share with their family, and one to make somebody else happy. And plus there's an extra kitty, a huge big box that's given to the birthday girl, birthday boy, birthday girl, and that is a gift for the birthday child, for that child to go with their family to choose a charity of their choice. So many times they'll choose the, they'll choose the emergency services, they'll go to old age homes, and just to bring Simcha to other people, the look on these children's faces, you know, we can bring out a pass the parcel and kids oh, I don't like this gift, I don't like this toy, it broke after a minute or so. This is a gift that is given to the children that just lasts forever. doesn't run out, doesn't outdate, and you just see children with real joy and real simcha. So we, I get a lot of nachas from seeing these birthday parties. Women will come in and men will come in and have their birthday parties. They'll cook MasterChef style. I'm sure you've got that in the States there. They sit down and have a beautiful dinner, but included in that, they will bake. Oops, sorry about that. They will bake an extra three, four hundred meals that will be delivered out either to a charity of their choice or we will send it out to families that we know can do with a boost having some yummy fresh food. I hope we got that little end part in there to have some yummy fresh food. Um, it's unbelievable. When I was, you know, I, when I first came in, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Slavin took me over to the uh, um, video screen at the front. He played me a movie um, and he showed two women and one of them I knew. Um, who had had a, um, I don't want to say, one had a big loss and one had a big illness, and how OBK just brought them back to get, brought them back to life, helped their families, helped them physically, helped them emotionally, and just put them back on track. And, you know, I see my, one of, one of the, the one that was sick, I don't want to 
um, go too into detail. Um, but she just, you know, she's Baruch Hashem, a picture of health now. And, and, and it's, you know, just so nice that you were part of her healing process. Um, you've been such a tremendous bonus having you in the Sydney Jewish community um, for the last, Leah, how long are you guys married? 20 years, 22 years? Yeah, you got married like a year or so before I did. It was like we're just back in school. I know, right? <laughs> back at Mariah. I know every time I drive past Queen's Park, I'm like, that's the new Mariah, and we're at the old Mariah on in Bellevue Hill, that's uh, in beautiful Sydney, Australia. So uh, as much as I love New York, and I love my life there, and it's got tons of you know kosher food and restaurants on every block, there's something really special about Sydney, um, and you guys are the people that make it that special. So uh, really thank you for uh, sharing your OBK with the community and with us in New York, sharing some of your experiences when you guys come to New York next. I want you in Nachum Siegel's studio. <laughs> on it and we get a lot of Nachas hearing things that you're doing there, Naomi. We get very proud. Yep. Are we often sharing from down here late at night in the kitchen, Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. So we're very proud of you, Naomi. Continued your amazing work. Thank you. We are about all the food all the time and how we can share it around with everyone. So uh, thank you for listening, and we're going to have some great, more great stories about uh, Sydney, Australia, and my adventures here uh, right now. Stay tuned. You are listening to Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Abels and Hyman. We're going to dive into our What's for Dinner segment, and we will hear part two of my interview with the... Uh, team of Rabbi Leah and David Slavin from OBK next week when we are back in New York. Um, so our What's for Dinner segment is sponsored by our wonderful friends at Gourmet Glut. And of course, I have to use an Australian recipe being in Australia. We are making Anzac biscuits because it was Anzac Day, which is uh, the memorial day for the Anzac soldiers, which stands for Australian and New Zealand Army Corps. They were part of the soldiers that were sent in World War One to Europe to fight uh, in the war there and their mothers and wanted to send their sons, their soldiers, uh, food and what would, um, what kind of food can you send that would travel long distances, especially during World War One times, um, that would not break or spoil. So they developed these, created these biscuits called Anzac biscuits in honor of the soldiers and they are a sturdy, crunchy, delicious, iconic, yet another iconic, I've been really into that word today, uh, biscuit. Uh, it's one cup of rolled oats, one cup of plain flour, one cup of shredded coconut like the dried one, one cup of brown sugar, half a cup of oil, one tablespoon of maple syrup, two tablespoons of bo- boiling water and one teaspoon of, um, they call it in Australia bicarbonate of soda, but in America we call that baking soda. So it's really easy to make. You put all those, mix all those ingredients together, first do the dry ingredients and then do the wet ingredients and then you combine them together, roll little balls and you bake them at 150 degrees, um, which is about, uh, let me do that, about 375 degrees uh, Fahrenheit uh, for about 20 minutes. Um, so they're just really delicious, great, parva, easy, and somewhat healthy uh, cookie. So uh, they are the Anzac Biscuit. Okay, so now I'm going to play uh, my next interview. ZK, we're ready with that. Uh, Tommy Rev, he's the butcher uh, in Sydney, Australia. He's actually, it's one of these like real old-fashioned butcher shops. And I know that in America we have a lot of our butcher shops within the supermarkets. But this is a freestanding butcher shop that has been around for, I don't know, 
many, many generations feeding the Sydney Jewish community and the quality of meat is unbelievable. I'm actually going to put some of the pictures of the meat case uh, on my Instagram page so people can have a look how fabulous uh, the meat is and how gorgeous actually, you know, the meat just pops out with freshness from the showcase, from their meat showcase. So, uh, CK, let's roll that interview with uh, Tommy Rev, owner and proprietor of Hadassah Butcher. I'm sitting here in Sydney, Australia, as most of you have heard my uh, crazy antics uh, of my Australia trip this time, visiting my dad. And I'm, I said, I've got to go on my kosher food tour because I, as we always say we're all about all the food all the time. So I'm sitting here with Tommy Rev. Tommy Rev is the owner and proprietor of Elat Butcher in Bondi, Beach. It is, you're so lucky, you're like five minutes away from, from the beach and you have a gorgeous butcher shop. If I walk slowly. <laughs> it's five minutes by foot if I walk slow. If I walk fast, it's three minutes away. It's, it's really beautiful. Like literally down the road, a half a kilometer, a quarter of a mile, whatever the conversion rate is, he's at Bondi Beach. But this is the heart and the pulse of the Sydney Jewish community for about 75 years. This, this area, it's called Five Ways. We've got Glick's Bakery here as well, and uh, the Butcher Shop, and just Judaica, Gold's Judaica. If you're all familiar with Gold's Judaica, you see them whenever you buy an art scroll book. You always say Gold's Judaica. Uh, so this, they have a Sydney office right here. Um, and then we've also got Katsy's Restaurant. So it's really been a hub they used to become, or Bake Shop when I was growing up. So this is the hub of the Sydney Jewish community where you come and you do your shopping. So I, w- I wanted to talk to Tommy especially about kosher meat in Australia and why I noticed uh, why is Australian meat tastes better than American meat. Um, I'm just going to check that the uh, <laughs> everything's working okay. Yeah, we're still we're still recording. Um, so it's, it tastes better than American meat, and I, know, I, I noticed that right away with lamb, especially. Um, and it was pointed out to me uh, recently that Australian all Australian kosher meat that is bought, you know, through you is you all grass fed. Good morning. Um, thank you for the lovely introduction. <laughs> We're very proud of our product. It is, as uh, Naomi said, it's all grass-fed. Um, it, it, it's, it's more natural than the alternative, which is grain-fed. When cattle is grain-fed, it is put in sheds. And the problem from a kosher point of view, apart from the taste, is the fact that when one cow has a cold, it infects the other cows in the shed. And that obviously um, impacts on the on the result of the shchita as far as circus uh, on the lungs. With grass fed, they're free to roam around the paddocks um, and eat when when and what they want. And they're not sneezing. They're not two feet away from the next cow sneezing and catching each other's germs. Uh, that that's in a sense essentially the. The big advantage from a kosher, uh, from a kosher shchita point of view, we have a pass rate of between 70 to 80 percent uh, on a year-round basis, which is quite incredible. I've heard uh, some reports out of Canada, for example, where the weather is much colder than Australia, where they have a pass rate for glut. We're talking glut at the highest level, which is all we use here in Australia, in Sydney in particular. Um, I've heard a report that in Canada they get between 5 and 10% uh, pass rate for the same sort of glut that we have a pass rate of 80%, which is quite incredible. Um, 
Secondly, the the lamb out of Australia and New Zealand is uh, renowned to be extremely good quality. I think it has also to do with the fact that they are grass-fed, um, and it's just the climate that is very uh, in, inducive to the quality of the product. Um, the other thing to keep in mind when you're talking about beef in particular is the age of the animal. We, we, our I did not know that. Well, the age of the animal can affect the taste of the meat. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, it, uh, the animals we get are approximately 18 months old, 18 months to two years maximum. Um, as the animal gets older, the meat gets tougher. It's been walking around the paddock more, and the muscles get tougher, and the meat gets older, and the quality deteriorates uh, according to age. I suppose, um, you know, a young person's flesh, if God forbid we were cannibals. Chasvashalem. <laughs> which we're not, obviously, but, you know, I mean, if I was a cannibal, I'd rather have a young a young, a young piece of meat than an old piece of meat. <laughs> That's very funny. That's very true. You want something fresh and young and healthy and... And, and soft. And soft. Um, the same applies in Australia. We have roasters and we have boilers as opposed to broilers. What do you mean by that? Um, in Australia, we call an old chicken that we use for soup a boiler with an O rather... We, Omit the R, which I think in America you put the R in and call it broilers. We don't have that terminology here. So the, the term boiler is an old chicken. Um, the, and, and that is used for soup. But if you were to try and put a boiler into the oven and get a roast chicken, you'd be cooking it for three months. Oh, really? I had no idea. So when I'm making chicken soup here, we're going to learn something. So when we make chicken soup in America, because I don't think we can get kosher chicken, in, kosher Australian chicken in America, even though you can get Australian, be, uh, Australian lamb, but what should we be looking out for in the United States to make a really good chicken soup? What kind of chicken should we be using? Well, boilers, when I started in the business 35 years ago, were quite popular for the older generation. It has basically almost died completely out um, and everybody uses roaster now and roasters are about uh, from about 8 to 12 weeks old uh, and then they're shechted at the age of 8 to 12 weeks whereas a boiler is an old hen that used to lay eggs once it gets uh, to the end of its egg laying stage uh, it's called a boiler and it probably is 1 or 2 years old and it makes delicious chicken soup well, the flavour is more intense in a boiler. Uh, however, it, the, the flesh is very tough. And I'm equating that to an old cow, which, again, is not the 18-month-old cow, which is equivalent to the eight-week-old chicken, uh, you know, in, in theory, um, where the flesh is very soft and tender. Uh, and that's, that's a fair comparison uh, in the anatomy of a chicken and comparing it to the anatomy and the age of a cow. I had no idea. That's really interesting. So the older the chicken, the more flavorful a soup could be, but the tougher the meat. The, the, the meat is very tough. The meat is very tough. And the same, the same applies to lamb. In Australia, lamb is classified in at least three, three different stages. Uh, the best one is obviously spring lamb, which is the baby lamb after winter. That's, that's what we eat. Yeah. Here, yeah. when that I ordered, I actually bought some meat from yeah. Tommy to yeah. take back. 
I mean, the best time to buy lamb in theory, and it doesn't really make much difference, but in theory, according to the theoretical books, uh, after, after our winter, we have spring, and that's when the lambs are born, uh, predominant, predominantly, um, into spring and into summer, which is the opposite of America. Um, but all year round, the lamb are pretty good. There's a little advantage to the spring lamb as opposed to the other lamb all year round, but it's not a huge difference. Sometimes the lambs that are not born in spring uh, come into us a bit with a bit more fat cover. I suppose that's nature taking care of the animal to protect it from the cold weather in the winter months um, by giving it a you know more fat layer, you know, to protect it from the elements. Thank you so much. You have taught us so much about just meat in general. Like I think that in we don't know enough about what we eat, where we eat, you know, where the animal's coming from, the, the life and the history of the actual animal. There's a big push in America for knowing what you eat and where you, where the animal came from and how it was treated and what it ate because you are what you eat. So now we got a little bit of a background on, on, um, Australian meat and, and even meat that carries on through America that how they treat it the same way and if they treat it the same way and what kind of flavors we can put into our chicken soup. Um, also, with the difference between grain-fed and grass-fed, grass-fed is obviously natural. It's grass coming out of the ground, which obviously Hashem created the grass to grow out of the ground. It cannot get more natural than that, as opposed to grain-fed, which is man-made, and they can put any chemicals or any additives into the pellets that they feel like. So it's a manufactured product rather than a natural product, and I think that's a very big difference. Thank you so much for joining me and having me here in the, the back of the, uh, the back of the butcher shop in a very nice office that we are here in Bondi Beach. So if you are visiting Sydney, Australia, remember we we're talking before with Rabbi Slavin about dr- flying to Australia, Qantas Airlines, you've got to make sure that you come to the Five Ways area of Bondi Beach and visit Tommy Rev's butcher shop because it, it is outstanding. And it's perfectly acceptable to take Australian meat back to America. Customs will not give you any problems as long as you tell them it's from Australia and you get an invoice from us. I will be presenting mine in just a couple of days <laughs> back at Customs, bringing in my Australian lamb and beef sausages. So uh, thank you very much, and I uh, look forward to eating all that meat in America. <laughs> Take care. Okay, that was my interview with Tommy Rev. Uh, very, very, very informative. Um, okay, the phone is ringing in my parents' house. <laughs> Hello. Okay. All right. It's a busy day here in Sydney, Australia. Okay. I don't know. I'm sorry for any background noise. Okay. Um, so my next interview was with Rabbi Groner. Rabbi Groner is the um, rabbinic assistant rabbinic administrator of the Australian and New Zealand Kashrut Authority, and uh, we had a great interview. I went. I walked down from. Tommy's Butcher Shop down to um, the offices there and we had a great interview and just a station ID break. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman from Down Under. So let's get that interview lined up and let's hear from Rabbi Groner for the last segment of our show. Thank you so much everyone for listening today. I'm now sitting in the offices on my Australian Sydney tour of uh, the Kashrus uh, experience that I'm having while I'm here, and I'm sitting uh, with Rabbi uh, Aaron Groner. He is the rabbinic, assistant rabbinic administrator of the 
Cashless Authority of New South Wales uh, and New Zealand, right? Also New Zealand and Australia and New Zealand. So thank you so much for having me in today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's wonderful to see you again. He has that South African accent. Can you tell? Doesn't sound like a real Aussie, but he's been here a long time from South Africa. We're very lucky. The Sydney Jewish communities had a large influx of South Africans. So uh, wherever I am in Sydney, I'm hearing a lot of South African accents, not American accents. So it's sometimes a little bit confusing for me, but it's absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for meeting with me on short notice today. It's a pleasure. And it's wonderful uh, to be able to share what we do here with... uh, with everyone in the USA and everyone on your show. Thank you so much. So you, you, Rabbi Groner and um, uh, Rabbi Gutnick were on the show uh, back in January. They were, when we did the Australia Day show and we talked, the show was all about Australia. So I said, now I'm actually in Australia. I'm in the offices, the heartbeat of the Sydney Jewish community, um, right by Five Ways, which we spoke about before with Tommy Rev. That has been the hub of the community for seven, at least 75 years and just a one-minute walk from Tommy's Butcher Shop, I walked down to the Kasher Authority offices, so uh, thank you. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the history of this. You know, we touched on it uh, back in January, but about the history of the Kasher Authority. Okay. Um, prior to 1990, um, there were actually three Kasher agencies in Australia, in Sydney, and uh, in 1990, they amalgamated, and... Uh, that turned into the New South Wales Cultural Authority, which uh, has been running for 24 years now as one cultural. And uh, I'm sure all those um, in the States, it's very difficult to fathom, you know, that there's one cultural agency. But um, it is definitely a tremendous advantage for kosher consumers to know that this is, you know, there's no confusion. And there's nothing else, you know, and... Uh, and it really helps kosher consumers when it comes to, um, you know, buying kosher and being involved in kosher. You know that you're always getting the highest, highest level of kosher, especially when with meat. 100%, yes. Um, you know, we work very hard at that to make sure that the levels of kosher that we, uh, you know, the policies and, and, our, and, and, and everything to do with shkita and meat and everything that we do is of the highest um, standard. Um, and that enables anyone, whether you're on the periphery of kosher or whether you're ultra-Orthodox, um, to be, uh, you know, you know, to, to feel very comfortable to be able to eat under the Kasher Authority. Okay, wow, it's really, it's really an amazing thing that that you can have that. I know, I know, I've I've travelled extensively, and and uh, thank God, and I know that even in Israel, it's so difficult, it's so hard in Israel. It's a little bit, you know, it's quite easy to keep kosher in New York, but there are many different symbols, and you have to know your symbols. There are many apps out there which help you, but. You know, sometimes you'll see a K in a square with a little O. You know, that happens not to be, you know, a symbol that I was so familiar with. So you have to go up and look it up and see if that's that's a, a, an acceptable orthodox hechsher. And, you know, here it's so easy. You just see the diamond with a K-A and you know it's good. Yeah, that is definitely true. It's not without challenges because uh, of a, lot, a lot of the products um, or raw ingredients that do come into Australia carry a lot of those echsharim that may not be acceptable. And, uh, in fact, I think at the last count, there was 1,167 kashrus agencies in the world. In the world. And, uh, and, you know, for, for kosher consumers, it definitely, you know, causes a lot of confusion. What can we eat? What can we not eat? Who's reliable? Who's not reliable? 
But uh, those challenges are also, you know, for, for those behind the scenes, um, making products kosher because uh, you could have a product that has 10 to 12 ingredients in that product and uh, six ingredients are coming with certificates and certifications that are acceptable and others are questionable. So where do you go? And, uh, and being in Australia where we don't have so many things, you know, available as they do in the U.S., um, you know, it, it makes the challenge, you know, a lot greater. But, uh, but the beauty of having the one agency is that um, because also the Kashrut Authority is part of ACO, which is the Association of Kashrut Organizations, um, uh, you know. Is that the entire world on that? Or that's, that's well, just an Australian thing? No, no, it's not an Australian thing at all. It's, it's actually run, uh, it run in America. And um, the, the, the I've never heard of it. I'm so happy to learn of this. Oh no no, there's quite a few agencies. The OU, the OK, Star K, Chofke, and I can go on. Who are all part of it? And in order to be part of it, you actually have to have a minimum standard of kashrus. And uh, um, it's run. The rabbinical council is actually the, the, the rabbinic person who's in charge of it is Rabbi Shalom Fishbane from the CRC. And uh, and every year we actually um, every year we actually go and uh, you know to the to the conferences and constantly in touch with them about minimum standards. We're part of it, and in a way it makes it not in a way it actually makes it a lot easier for us because they look into a lot of the kashrus agencies and they help us make that decision as to whether a particular ingredient or whether a particular product is acceptable. In fact, I, I'm, I'm, I'm emailing them almost daily about different uh, questions about different kosher agencies, and it's wonderful to be able to do that. But uh, kosher consumers in Sydney and the world, though, we can be assured that if a product ends up with a diamond KA, you know that all the, all the boxes have been ticked and the product meets the standard of everyone. With, with that in mind, just a little side note story that I had. Um, I don't know if I told you this, or I'm sorry if you've heard this story from me before. A lot of my friends uh, have heard this story as well. I was shopping in a store called Trader Joe's, and um, I saw a mango sorbet with the KA on it. I was so excited. It is delicious. Um, I, I'm sure I have mentioned this before. Um, and I was really excited to see that that product from uh, the mango sorbet, which is Weiss. Is it originally Weiss? It's, it's so delicious and so amazing. So if you're in the United States and you're near uh, Trader Joe's, go grab some of those Australian products that have the diamond KA on it, and they are amazing. I believe it is not Chal Israel, no, but parv. some of them are Parv. That's right. The sorbets are The sorbets, yeah. All the sorbets are Parv, and it's very clearly indicated by the, the KA. If it's a dairy product, we'll say KAD. It has the little, the little bars. The little well, coffee bars there's, there's, and there's, dairy. There's a, there's a whole range. We actually make um, gelatos, ice creams, sorbets in tubs, bars, etc., etc. They all have the Diamond K logo on. Those that are parav, which is a wonderful treat after a Shabbos meal, clearly indicate that the parav just has the Diamond KA. Those that are dairy have the dairy um, um, designation on it, and it makes it very easy for kosher consumers to know. I actually get a lot of phone calls about about it because people, you know, who aren't familiar and you're very concerned about your kashrut um, heksheh and certifications and sometimes you just don't know. And um, I'll get phone calls from people in Trader Joe's saying, Naomi, what is this Diamond KA or the Melbourne? There's one from there's Melbourne also. And, and they're like, I'm like, you can be rest assured it's top, top, top notch. And they're like very excited to add something new to the repertoire. <laughs> No, the truth is that a lot of products um, over the last few years have now made their way to America and carry our logo as well as a logo that is, um, I guess, more more known 
that's the right word in America. And um, and I think we should touch on that as well. Um, people always wonder. You go to America, and there are thousands, thousands of Jews, and there are kosher products everywhere. Kosher products everywhere, and thousands of Jews, and uh, yeah, and that's why you have a lot of kosher products. But in Australia, where there aren't too many Jews. How do we manage to convince companies? Right, right. How, how you manage to convince companies? Like, why? What's a? Sometimes you get like, what's a Jew? What's kosher food? And right, like, how, why would they want to become kosher? Right. Took the question right out of my mouth. <laughs> it's a very good question. And and the truth is, I was actually sitting um, at a kosher agency, at a kosher agency um, in the states, and we were discussing this, and they were they were amazed because. The way it actually works in America, in most cashier agencies, is that they, they're sitting in the office and they receive a phone call. Hi, we would like our company to be kosher certified. What do we need to do? And that's how the dialogue begins. In Australia, I have to say, more and more companies are beginning to understand the value of kosher, but it's paled in, you know, in significance totally you know, compared to the States. So what we actually do is we actually go out to companies and try and convince them about you know you know why it's why it's profitable and why it's good for them to be kosher. Right, because sometimes it's just about the bottom line. Hundred percent. You know they want to see. You know you show them we have X amount of kosher people, X amount of product that, that, that you make. Let's make it kosher, and your profits hopefully hopefully will go up. I'm, I'm sure Tim Tams have gone up. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely have, but uh, Tim Tams are actually supplying the world over. So yes. Um, are we going to be getting those in the States? Because I get questions all the time, Naomi. When are we going to get Tim Tams in America? That's uh, a very good question. I don't know. I don't know. It's actually, you know. I'm, I'm sure I asked you that last time too. But I'm going to be working with Howie Clagsburn from uh, the amazing Gourmet Glut, and he's going to try to help me try to bring them in. Not a problem. Put pressure on the company, and that's, uh, yeah, that's the way it works. We'll have to, I'll be back in July. We'll talk. No problem. But to answer your question, um, the reality is that any company that that does do you know due diligence and and you know crosses their eyes, sorry dots their eyes and across their t's, yeah, yeah, they they, they want to know how many Jews. You know, if we're going to make a product kosher, how many people are going to you know are going to you know buy that product, etc. And in Australia, it's very difficult to tell them. In Australia, it's very difficult to tell them because um, we don't really know. We don't really know, and you know, we know approximately how many Jews there are, but religious Jews and those who are Can keeping I ask, kosher. Do you know how many Jews there are in Australia? The Erech? I won't hold you to the number. 120,000, maybe. Uh-huh. And that's in the whole country. That's in the whole country. There you go. I think there's that many people in Borough Park. <laughs> yeah, and and that that does beg a question: how how is it possible that we have so many kosher products here and so many, you know, kosher? And and the truth is, I'll tell you what we do. First of all. Um, we make a considerable effort to, besides kosher certifying a product and a company, to inform the public and the kosher consumers about this company and where it's available and where they can buy it, etc., etc. And when you get involved in that, you're not just certifying the company. You're actually getting involved in advertising for the company. The company actually sees that there's, there's, a, there's a lot more worth to, what, to what's going on. And many, many companies have jumped on the bandwagon because of that. But the real advantage that we have now is encouraging companies to become kosher for the export market. Ah, like Solomon Sippets, which was already kosher, 
which I used to sneak in my suitcase back into the United States. Actually, I didn't have to sneak it. They allow you to bring soup, Solomon soup sippets back into Australia, as now available in Gourmet Galat, in Cedarhurst, in the five towns, and in Borough Park. It is very readily available. 100%. And I can tell you that there are a number of products currently yeah. that um, are, have been in America for many, many years. Corn thins. Um, you know, there's a whole variety. They're all over the place. Um, they carry the KA logo as well as the OK logo. Um, there's so many wines in Australia that are made yeah. in Australia that are all over. Teal Lake. Teal Lake. Teal Lake. Huge. Who Teal makes Lake. Teal Lake? Which, which wine, Australian wine company makes Teal Lake? Oh, well, I don't know if I can tell you the company that makes it, but it's owned by Kedem. Oh, Royal Wine Company. Oh, wine they, and they make it here. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did not realize that. Sorry, Jay Bookspam. I did not realize that. <laughs> He's the uh, marketing uh, officer, officer in, uh, of uh, Royal Wines uh, back, in, back no, in the States. It's amazing because they have, they have Teal Lake as a whole range. They have a, a, fabulous, fabulous. You know, people, people really love the wines. But there are a lot of other products that are um, in the pipeline that are actually making their way to the States. Oh, I'm very excited. New gluten-free products. <gasps> Gluten-free is huge in the uh, States, right. and I heard it's here also, right? It's massive. In Australia, it's massive. And, and in fact, one of the companies that we're working with now, the entire, the entire factory, the entire factory um, is gluten-free. And everything that they're doing, they really want to get to the States, and it's unbelievable. And we're working very hard to, you know, to help them out. I find in the States... Um, Near the, right near, next to the kosher section is the gluten-free section. Go guess it's specialty items. And 99% of gluten-free items have a hersha. I don't know if they think that all Jews are uh, <laughs> gluten-free or something, but um, it is I, I, That's so a very big. good point. I, I think the reason is, is every company is looking for a niche, an added niche to get their product out there. And um, the fact that you're gluten-free is already a niche. And the fact that you're kosher is even a bigger one. So they go hand in hand. And actually, actually, you know, it's, it's a very – if you have a gluten-free product and you have it kosher. Wow. wow. You know, I was, I was in uh, Disney World in Florida this past August with my mom and my daughter and my husband. And you can get kosher food now in Disney World. Wow. You go over to the regular counter in, in Futureland where they, you order your hamburgers from and you say to them, I would like a kosher meal. And you can get a kosher hamburger, a kosher hot dog – and kosher pizza. Pre-packaged. Pre-packaged. It's kind of like air meal, airline food. It's double wrapped, but it's a machaik. You don't have to pack your sandwiches and you don't have to worry about them rotting in the heat there in Florida. It was a real pleasure to do. But we ordered the pizza. The pizza was okay. Like we ate it, but it was gluten-free and kosher. They got two like uh, two things at once. And, you know, I said, I'm kosher, I'm not gluten-free. But you'll have many people <laughs> who are time. requesting that who are not kosher due to the fact that it's gluten-free. Right, so the people who want gluten-free food happen to get kosher food, and the people who want kosher food happen to get gluten-free free food. So it was a win for everyone. Correct, yeah, correct. Maybe except for your taste buds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so we help a lot of companies and we encourage a lot of companies um, – you know, to come to Kosher Fest and, and to show what they have and, uh, and which Australian company doesn't want to get into the U.S. market. So to answer your question, yes, it's not very easy to convince them for the Australian market, but more and more are, get, are coming around and more and more people are keeping kosher right. in Australia, which is very interesting. Um, obviously, due to the efforts of uh, the cashless agencies um, in Australia, the Cashless Authority in particular, we're trying to make... Kosher shopping 
an experience that's very enjoyable for the kosher consumer as opposed to worrying about how do I do this, how do I get, is this kosher, is this not kosher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I know it's so fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm visiting here for a week and a half. I'm visiting my dad who just had surgery, as a lot of people have heard on our early interviews. And, you know, it's been a while since I've been in Sydney, um, but I was shopping at Coles, which is a very large supermarket chain. And, you know, I can't remember what's kosher, what's not kosher. And I didn't have a book. Quite often there's a book that you, you put out a book every couple of months or you can go online and have a look or there's an app, a Kosher, Kosher Authority yeah. app on my yeah. iPhone. So cu- currently, cu- currently we have a, a free website for anyone to, you know, and, it, and it's constantly updated with over 6,500 products that are kosher. Um, in Australia, I have to tell you now, over the last few years, more and more companies are putting the logo, our logo, on the packaging, which is a wonderful thing because it really enables the shopper to know what's kosher. We also have a, an app that clearly, you know, identifies what products are kosher. I, I downloaded it so I could, you know, make my life a little easier while I'm here. No, 100%. It's I'm, a, a, I'm a spoiled American. And, you know, the app, the app has, has everything that's on the website and more, and it's been a very big hit. Um, another thing that we've done um, is in one of the biggest supermarkets in Australia called Coles. Yeah, have, let, let, let's talk about that because yeah. I was touching on it before, and you can you can finish my sentence because that was that that made just my life so much easier. Yeah, so basically, um, the company, um, the Cash Authority, has been working with Coles for, for quite some time now, and in fact, we actually have a full time supervisor who works for us, who works in Coles every single That's day, nine to five. There are many, many Coles is a. I'm just trying to describe. It's a large, large supermarket chain like. Um, Shoprite. Let's let's give it a little bit of uh, Shoprite exactly. is a big chain Correct. in America, yeah. um, where they're all over the country. So Coles is all over the country. Yeah. Coles is all over the country, and we have in the centre of Bondi, in the, in probably the biggest Coles in Bondi Junction. It's the biggest. It's definitely the biggest kosher Coles, but it's also one of the biggest Coles that exist in Australia. We have a kosher supervisor. There is a dedicated kosher kitchen, where the kosher supervisor does. They do kosher fresh roasted chickens every day. We have kosher, um, kosher roast chickens in, in Coles every day from 9 to 5. Yeah, I saw that. How long have you been doing that for? For Since, since January. Oh, so that's like really new. Oh, it's unbelievable. You know, pe- there are a lot of people who work in the, in the junction. A lot of people who work in the junction and for them to get a hot meal. Bondi Junction is the, um, the central uh, business district well, in, the eastern the, su- yeah. in the eastern, eastern suburbs. And not so much business like finance business, but the shopping, the malls are here, or the, yeah, yeah, the big right. shopping of... Of, of there the are a lot eastern of, suburbs. There are a lot of buildings um, in the vicinity and a lot of, and a lot of offices, etc. And people, um, you know, people are very happy to be able to just pop down to Coles, pick up a, a, a it's warm, it's in a dedicated kosher, you know, warmer, take it upstairs and have lunch. And, it's all, and the truth is that a lot of new things are taking place um, at Coles. We currently have now kosher fr- um, fish. You can go to the regular counter, regular counter, and get an order. There's a whole array of kosher fish. You can get it filleted, you can get it minced, you can do whatever you want, and the mashkiach's on site. Every, every day? Every day, um, from 9 to 5. On Friday, it's from 9 to 1. Fantastic. Samir's come so far. It's yeah, really God. amazing. You guys have done an incredible job. Oh, thank God. The, now, the, 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 most, the most impressive thing, to believe it or not, yeah, is, um, is the labels that we've put in Coles. Now, one of the things that we've been able to work on with Coles is every kosher product, even if it doesn't have a logo on it, if it's in our book, our supervisor puts a kosher logo in front of the product. On the price tag, Yes. In front of there's a kosher logo which indicates to the kosher consumer. So if you actually go down the aisles, there are hundreds of kosher products. 
and it's now identified and it's made life easy. And it's, and it's just not in the kosher section. You ju- walk up uh, and down every aisle and, you you know, 80% of the stuff is not kosher, but then all of a sudden you'll see KA on something. You're oh, like, great, right. I can buy that. Yeah, that's right. And, that's- and, and it's monitored by our, our um, in-house mashkiach. And they've also built a beautiful, beautiful new kosher section. And, uh, and it's really, um, you know, it, it's really made a very big difference to kosher shoppers. And it's, I have to say, just I, we eat a lot of uh, frozen checked uh, cauliflower. It was the same price that you pay that I pay. It was it, it maybe fifty cents more. Yeah. You know, sometimes out of town, some things in Sydney like Geffen marinara sauce, which everybody knows is my true love of uh, pasta sauces, is maybe three times the price because it's imported. I get it. It's of course you have importing tax, you can't help it, and the the dollar exchange. But things like the 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 vegetables were the same price. So I was really excited to see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, we also have um, in Bondar Junction something very new, and that is a coffee shop. It's delicious. It's going to get a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Fibonacci. Fibonacci, nice Italian restaurant. Definitely, but it's actually it's more of a it's, cafe. Yeah, it's a cafe, and it was delicious. We had some wraps and yeah, and and the truth is that it's a, it's actually a centre. Every day, there are four shiurim that take place at this cafe, and on Thursdays. And on Thursdays, um, there's a shear given by myself from two to two thirty. Ask the rabbi. Um, Anything on Kashrus. So it's, a, it's a very interesting shear. There's a, de- a few tables, a few uh, tables. I would have come. Sorry. It was, it was on Facebook. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I must have missed it. I have limited access to my Facebook account uh, here you, in Australia. Yeah, but thank God, you know, uh, bringing, bringing Torah together with kosher food to the, to the people that, um, that live in the area and people are coming to visit, it's wonderful. Oh, it's, it's really... I'm totally. Well, I'm coming back in July for a chasana. My cousin Cassie, is, I mentioned earlier, is getting married. Uh, and I'm going to... Come check out the Shear Shear and Coffee. Shear and Coffee, 100%. It's beautiful. Um, I just want to give a big shout-out to the Australian coffee industry. America, you've got nothing. I know I always say America runs on Duncan, but let me tell you, Australian coffee is far superior, and I'm a new coffee drinker. I only started drinking coffee after, say, 40, which was, you know, not so long ago. And the Australian coffee is magnificent here. I don't know what... Why it has a different taste? There is no doubt is about that. Unreal. Maybe coffee the... in Australia is excellent. It's one of the best coffees you'll get in the world. I want to. I want to take some back with me. <laughs> Believe it or not, I mean, if you, if you go to if you go to Google and you Google how many cups of coffee are sold in Australia, in proportion to the amount of people that live here, it is out per of capita. This world. Yeah, per capita, it's out of it's, it's crazy. I I cannot I can I don't know what I'm going to do when I go back next week. And I, I really I drink you know. Nice stuff in America. Uh, Le Chocolat, if shout out to you on Central Avenue, you have great coffee. And I like my Dunkin' Donuts. I like a cold Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee. But if I'm going to have it hot, then I go to Starbucks. <laughs> but, you know, my family's all like that. But but um, I just, I, I love Australian coffee. So thank you. A no, big no, shout no, out no. to the Australian coffee industry. It's been very, it's been a great success, this, this cafe. And uh, hopefully more and more people will go and visit and buy and help him, you know, succeed. Okay, um, any final thoughts that we can share uh, for, from our interview this morning? And I think we'll do have to do part two of this interview when I come back in July. Because I think you've, you've been incredible. You've shared so much with us with such passion and excitement. Oh, yeah, and it's, a pleasure. it's a pleasure to discuss, Kosher. And uh, I'll end off by saying that uh, you know, we have a very, very successful Facebook um, group. I think we're close to 2,000 members. And the purpose of the group was to communicate with kosher consumers. And those kosher consumers who have questions about kashras know that this is the forum where they can get get their answers. And as we saw over Pesach, 
you know, hundreds and hundreds of questions were posed and everyone got their, you know, the answers and, and, and people really felt that, you know, there's this two-way communication between the cultural authority and kosher consumers and they're divided. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank Pleasure. you for having me and hosting me here this morning and uh, we look forward to having you again. I, we'll make it a three-part series, the January one, this one, and the one in July. So thank you very much, and uh, we look forward to hearing more great things from the Kashrut Authority here. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rabbi Grona. I just want to end off with a giveaway with Australian products that I'm uh, going to be bringing back. If you want this Australian giveaway, email me at naomi at nachumsegel.com. You will get Vegemite, Tim Tams, eat a barbecue sauce, and a gift from the Nachum Siegel Network. That'll be a surprise. So thank you very much for listening to our show from Broadcast from Down Under. Our show is sponsored by our friends, Abels and Hyman. If you uh, want to keep listening, we've got great music sponsored by our friends at Kedem. So g'day from Australia. want to wish everybody a Shabbat Shalom, and uh, we'll see you all next week back in the United States. Bye.